Psalm 62.11, God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. And we're going to talk about walking in the fullness of the power of God. We're going to talk about this mighty God that we serve. It's one thing to know that He's mighty. It's even another thing to know that I've been born of His Spirit and belong to this mighty God. But God would have us as His people to exercise authority and walk in the authority. I'm not talking about kingdom now. I'm not talking about uh, that type of theology. I am talking about biblically walking in the authority that God's given us over sin, the authority that God's given us over uh, temptation and things like this. Just uh, there's great power in the Lord. We're not what we used to be. And we, are, we don't need to live, and I would speak to myself as much as anyone, live as though I'm still just this hopeless, no good sinner. I've been born again, and I've been saved by the grace of God, not by any merits of my own, by the blood of Jesus like we talked about. Salvation is of the Lord. But in salvation, there comes a lot. There's a lot. That's what the Bible calls it so great salvation. And the Bible says that He's... I know that speaking of Israel, but still I think I don't think it's out of... Context. I'm making that point. You know that in the Old Testament, the Lord said in Deuteronomy, "You, I've made you Israel the head and not the tail, and you will be above only and not beneath." And I think the same could be said for the people of God, for the, 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 the saved of all ages, that God would have us to walk in His authority. It's not an arrogance, but it is a reality to walk in the authority of the Lord. Power belongs to God. So you can highlight that Scripture. You can jot it down if you want to. Because every Wednesday night from here until we finish this little series, that's basically going to be our, our theme. And God wants us uh, to, to know that we serve a mighty God and that for us to walk in the fullness of what all that that means. And there is power that goes with that. I just want to read a couple of Scriptures about the Lord. I wrote these down. I'll give you the references, but I'm going to read them quickly. All of them from the Psalms. Psalm 68, 35. Psalm 71, 18. Psalm 79, 11. Psalm 106, 8. And Psalm 147, 5. And I could have written 30 more. Okay? But I'm just going to read these quickly. O God, Thou art terrible out of Thy holy places. The God of Israel is He that giveth strength and power unto His people. So He says He gives strength and power unto His people. Not only is He mighty, not only does He do mighty things for us, but He gives us strength and power. He gives us the ability to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. We see that in the book of Acts. We see it actually taking place by people other than the Lord who are filled with the Holy Ghost and, and, and operating in His will and by faith in the Lord. Amen? So it's, again, it's, it's not an arrogance, but He says He gives strength and power unto His people. Blessed be God. Psalm 71, Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed Thy strength unto this generation and Thy power to everyone that is come. So David in the Psalms was wanting people to know the greatness of God. That He's not like Baal or Ashtaroth or one of these other gods or the gods of the Philistines or some of these other gods that were all around them in neighboring countries. Lord, I want to live long enough, even in my old age, that people would see Your power through my life. I would, I would be able to demonstrate uh, Your power. All right, Psalm, Psalm 79, Let the sign, sign of the prisoner come before Thee according to the greatness of Thy power. Preserve Thou those that are appointed to die. 
Psalm 106.8, Nevertheless, He saved them for His name's sake that He might make His mighty power to be known. God wants His power to be known. And I just want you to know, we don't just serve some. He is gentle and He's kind and He's merciful and He's gracious, but He's not just some little uh, uh, weak or frail kind of God. Even His love is strong and mighty. You know what I'm saying? His grace is strong. His gentleness is great. Everything about Him is is uh, is God. It's the God of the Scriptures. It's the God uh, of power and might. He's Almighty God, the Bible says. And the last one from Psalm 147.5, Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. There are many, many Scriptures along this line uh, I could have used, but the Lord wants His people to walk in power. He has not only power on behalf of His people or shown or displayed to His people, He redeemed us from the power of sin. He redeemed us, our soul, from the grave. You know, He lifted David up out of the horrible pit out of the miry clay, set His feet upon a rock. Uh, We see His signs and wonders and His power in big ways, I guess you would say, over armies and things like that. And in creation, we see Him in ways that are just as big in our own lives battles that He wins for us. But then He also wants His people to to exercise authority and to walk in the power of the Lord. He gives strength unto His people. We read that. And so, what kind of strength? He gives power over sin. He gives power over Satan. Satan is mighty, but he's not almighty. And I say this all the time, the devil is greater than me. He's, He's this being that's from... I don't know how many he's a created being, so I don't know when he was created, but he's this being that's uh, supernatural and powerful and wise. But he's not all wise. But he's wiser than me. He's stronger than me. But he's not stronger than the God that I serve or the God that has saved me and that lives in me. That's why the, the Lord's word can say to the humblest believer, to the newest believer, to the, you know, there's somebody that got saved yesterday. He can say, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yeah. The Bible says, for greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And so uh, we have power over sin. We have power over the enemy. We have power over uh, fear. Do you ever just get fearful for no real reason? Maybe there's a little reason that triggers it, but it's an unrational fear. and It's, it's an irrational fear. That it's not, uh, it's a spirit of fear. But God has given us a spirit of fear. But a power, there's that word again, of love and of a sound mind. I tell you, it does not take me long, I say it all the time, to look at the news literally for about two minutes, flip on the Fox News, or, or pick up the paper and read the headlines, and I see very quickly, I'm overwhelmed. I say our country's going to communism, our country's going to socialism. Uh, uh, Christians are, are people that are conservative are getting beat up on college campuses and they're not even pressing charges to do anything about it. They just do it on camera and get away with it. You know what I mean? I'm like, this, this starts to irritate me or agitate me with both the anger and a fear of the times in which we're living and yet God's got it. He wants me to know I'm walking in the authority of the Lord. He wants me to walk in that authority. There's a, there is power, love, and a sound mind. He wants me to live in. Do you think this is something we need? It is something we need. Absolutely. In every generation and especially in our generation. Uh, Victory or power over depression. We get to get get depressed. 
Satan loves for us to get depressed and a lot of times our own flesh and our own humanity, our carnal nature wants to cooperate with that. We might feel sorry for ourselves. It might be because of some news or some outward circumstance, again, that, that might trigger that. And I'm not a, trying to be a therapist or something like that. We're just going to the Word of God. But we can get down. We can get depressed. Maybe we think we have a reason. Maybe there's no reason at all. But God wants to cast that off and to walk in the power of, again, love, sound mind, His joy. He wants us to walk in power and exercise that power over the draw and the pull of the world to try to suck us back into it. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. It doesn't matter what Sunday school class you teach or you've taught on power or victory over temptation. The pull of the world is still the pull of the world. And I have to press into Christ or the natural inclination is going to be the pull to the world. It never relents. Never ever does it relent. So I have to press in hard to the Lord. He's able to keep me. But when I don't press into God, the thing I'm, I'm not going to stay in neutral, so to speak. The pull is going to be like a vacuum sucking me to the world. All right. And so but God wants us to walk in a power over that. And so the Lord desires for his people to be strong. Strong, not in ourselves, not I've got it, God, you stay over there. I've got victory over temptation. I never get depressed. I've got this figured out. He wants us to be strong. And I love this scripture in Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And how? And in the power of His might. Not one of it goes on to talk about the armor of God and so forth in that passage. But it's just wonderful. Finally, be strong in the Lord. It doesn't say be weak and strong. And it doesn't just neglect to address it at all. He tells us, finally, be strong in the Lord. So if I'm not strong in the Lord, but I'm in the Lord, that means I can be strong in the Lord. And God can take me from my position of saved, but I'm not really walking in much victory or authority. He wants to bring me from there to where He wants me to be. And I don't know it's just a one-time thing. I think it's as we grow in the Lord, as our faith grows in the Lord, as our Christ-likeness grows, I think it's ongoing till we see the Lord. But be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That word strong just means what you think it would. It means enable. It means strengthen. It means to increase. Okay? To increase. So there again, our strength should be increasing. And I want to read just a couple of quotes from this book I'm studying. He said, from, uh, this author says, From many earnest hearts there's a rising uh, cry for more power in our personal Christianity in our conflict in the world. Okay? I need more power, Lord. I keep falling into this same temptation. I keep getting depressed when I, I give it to you, you know, at the altar and I say I'm not. Or, or I, things along that line. That, that we want more power, but the, the Bible makes it clear how to obtain that power. And so it's not found separate from Christ. It's not like here's Jesus. And over here is this little store where we go buy power or something like that. It is in Christ. We're strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. But there are some definite biblical uh, outlines, I guess you would say, or instructions where God would have us to, to go to, to obtain this power. All right, The fullness of this power in, in our Christian life. It's not mystical. It's not mysterious. You don't have to go find some monk on top of a mountain. You don't have to go find some secret chamber where some one church over in 
Toronto or some other place has this little power that we can tap into. It's found in the Lord and the Bible lays it out. There's five things we're going to discuss in this series. Okay, it's all going to revolve around power belongs to the Lord. How do I walk in the power that the Lord has for me? Again, this is not an arrogance. This is not I'm going to be a better Christian than you are. This is all of us walking in the authority, not more or less, but in the authority that God has for us. Not to overstep our bounds, but to walk in what God has for us. And a lot of times we don't. I would say most of the times we don't. And I would say most of the times I don't. Again, it's not mystical or mysterious. It comes from the, from the Lord. But here's, the, here's what we're going to look at. The power of the Word of God. And this is what we're going to touch on tonight. Uh, last year, uh, or maybe it was... Maybe it was the end of 2017. But I did a series on the Word of God. It was a long series. I forgot how many parts were in it. Maybe eight or ten parts to it. And I touched on a lot of this. But the power of the Word of God, the power of the blood of Christ, which we sang about tonight, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of prayer, and the power of a surrendered life. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? Those five things. And so, uh, God has it for us. There are a lot of people who might uh, might get saved and they, they don't expect anything more. If, if they're not going to... If a person gets saved and doesn't go on to pursue the Lord, I'm talking about in the Word of God, you know, like pursuit, follow hard after the Lord, they're still saved because they're saved. They're born again. But there are many people that stop short and they're, they're saved. They don't even know that there's this authority for them. They're thankful that they're saved and that their sins are forgiven and that they're going to heaven instead of hell. And they have some relationship with the Lord. But it doesn't take long to get into the Word of God to find out He wants you and I to walk in that. I mean, Paul did cast out demons. The demons knew it. Jesus we know. Paul we know. But who are you? He says to the seven you know, exorcists who are trying to cast out demons. And so, there's an authority. And it may be something bold like casting out demons. It may be something very inward like walking in victory over fear that you don't even tell anybody about. But God gives you this incredible strength and it's not you, it's the Lord in you and you're not walking in fear anymore. And it's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. You wake up tomorrow and you set your heart and mind upon the Lord. And so, a lot of people don't know that they want joy and rest and power and satisfaction in the Lord, but they don't even know it's there. And there are those that do know it's there and they think maybe it's for a certain... Uh, ecclesiastical class of Christians. You know what I mean? It's for some, the missionaries, and it's for the, the pastors and the evangelists and those that are, you know, just given to 24 hours a day intercessory prayer or something like that. But the Lord wants us to walk in it. You know, if we quote, I quote the verse all the time from Romans 8, if God spared not His own Son, but offered Him up for us all, how shall He not also with Him freely give us all things? All things that pertain to life and godliness. We studied it in First and Second Peter. And so, power belongs unto God. There's a scripture we all know, and I'm going to just quote it from John 15, where the Lord Jesus says that if, if you abide in Me, that's where He talks about being on the vine and you're the branch, right? And he says in one scripture, verse 7, if you abide in Me and My words abide in you. This is what we're going to look at tonight. Power belongs to the Lord and we find it from the Word of God. 
Alright? And my words abide in you. Listen to what he says. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be given unto you or done un, uh, unto you. And so, not just that we hear Scriptures, but that the Word of God abides in us. That means it lives there, right? It lives and has the most prominent place in our hearts and lives. It's not something we go to only in a bind or a pinch. What's that Scripture again? But we're walking it in the Word of God. In our minds, okay, and in our hearts, it's there. And so, if we want to have the power that God is the first thing, one of the five things that we mentioned, we got to go to the book. Amen. We got to go to the Bible. And so, uh, people are longing for power, and we forget that it says in this, the parable of the seed and the sower, the seed is the Word of God. Now, what it says in the explanation of the parable, the seed is the Word. Okay, and then what? It grows from there. It's planted, it's sowed in the hearts of men, and it grows, brings forth fruit, some a hundredfold, you know, 60, 30, a hundredfold. And, and so the seed is the word of God. And longing to have power, if you want longing, you have, are longing to have power in your life, for example, to melt or break a stubborn heart or a cold heart. Maybe your brother's lost. Maybe your parents are lost. Maybe your child's lost, your friend at work. We can never forget that God says in His Word in Jeremiah 29, Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. That's powerful, right? What is He saying? He's saying the Word is not my word like a fire. Okay, fire does what it does. It burns, it consumes, it judges. And, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. His Word is typified as being that. Is spoken of as being that. So if we, you and I as believers are to obtain fullness of power in this life and to serve God and to witness for the Lord, we have to feed upon the Word of God. And there's no other substitute for that. I know that you know that. I'm stating the obvious here tonight. But let it be obvious and let it be real and let it lay hold of it. We have to feed upon the Word of God. So we're going to look tonight just quickly. We're going to cover each one quickly on this one theme, the Word. Uh, what can the Word of God do? And you might even add to this list. But I'm following a rough outline that I have here. The Word of God has power to convict of sin. I'll ask this. Can anything else do that? Nothing else can do that. You would say the Holy Spirit can. But the Holy Spirit's tool is the Word of God. I know that I've shared it many times. I read this in, uh, I don't remember whose book I was reading years and years ago, but it's, uh, the description, it might have been F.B. Meyer, but he talks about the two, uh, two things that work on a man's heart. Certainly for a lost man, but I would say for any man's heart. What does God use to get into a man's heart and change them? To turn them to repentance. To turn them from lost to saved. To, to live in their own way like a sheep that's gone astray. To turning to God's way. He uses the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And if you've ever seen in real life or in a magazine or a book or a movie, a millstone, it's this big stone wheel. It's heavy. It spins on an axis. And it's used to maybe a... a uh, it's hooked, you know, some kind of a mechanism to a river where the water turns it, or uh, maybe an ox is 
going round and round and pulling it. But either way, the stone turns over and over. And it is used for a purpose. It's used to grind things, to smash things, to pulverize things. So you would put the wheat through it. And once it's been you know, picked and cleaned, you got the seed and they want to grind it into meal or corn to grind it into meal. And it passes through this millstone. Well, the millstone just spinning in thin air is not going to do any good. It has to have something to rub against, right? To where the, the corn passes between the wheel and the ground or whatever the surface it's on, right? You get the picture. Well, God's Word would be one of these millstones spoken, preached, read, okay? And the Holy Spirit is the other. And what's passing through instead of corn for our purposes, would be the heart of man. It passes through that. There has to be the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit is always going to work in conjunction with the Word of God. So you have those two. It's not just a dead Word. The letter killeth. The Spirit gives life. It's not just a dead Word. It's the Word of God quickened by the Holy Spirit. To a lost man, God can quicken a dead, a dead man. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. You hath he quickened who were dead in your sins and trespasses. Uh, Calvinists wouldn't understand how that's possible. Calvinists would say they have to be regenerated before they can be saved. And it's a choosing of God. But God is able to quicken the dead. Amen. He does it by the Holy Spirit. And you're passing your heart or my heart. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We'll talk about that later tonight as well. But it's got to pass through those. Okay, so the word of God convicts of sin. We see this in the Bible on the day of Pentecost. We've been talking a lot about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Sunday school and in our Bible study that we had. Now, when they heard this, Acts 2.37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. That's just another word for conviction. They were cut to the heart. It went beyond their minds. It went beyond just their rational thoughts of thinking about the history of Jesus. They lived in the days when Jesus was crucified. I mean, that was only 40 days before, okay? And a lot of them knew the story and had heard about it. And he says, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So there was a conviction, right? Well, what was it that pricked them in their heart? What was it that brought them to this place to literally say, what must I do? You've made us guilty of the blood of Jesus. And guess what? They weren't even fighting against it. They understood. You've crucified the Lord of glory. Peter's saying you did. And he, he did it in accordance to the will of the Father and so forth. But they were guilty of the blood of Jesus. And they were pricked or cut to the heart. What they had heard was nothing other than the Word of God. Peter's sermon was about the most biblical thing. If you've read it in Acts chapter 2, it's Scripture from beginning to end. It's Old Testament Scriptures. It's leading right up to, to Jesus coming. And He's the Son of David. And death couldn't hold Him. It's not possible that He could be held of death. Held of death. And He rose from the dead. It was nothing but Scriptures. And the Scripture produced this conviction carried home, I guess you would say, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which they had been baptized with the Holy Spirit that day, that morning, carried home his word with the word of God's already anointed. Okay? He carried it home to the hearts of men. And so if you wish to produce conviction, your brother's lost, your father's lost, your your co-worker's lost, 
And you want them to come to know Christ. And you pray for them. And we got to pray for them. Pray that their hearts will be soft. Pray that they'll be uh, in a position to receive when we bring the Word. But when all is said and done, we have to bring the Word. It doesn't mean five days a week at the office that every day you're preaching a, a, a sermon to them. But at some point, you have to preach a sermon to them. At some point, you have to bring the Gospel. It's not enough that they see Boy, there's something different about Sherry. She sure is wonderful. She, she, she has to bring the gospel at some point. And so if we desire to see conviction in people around us in our day, then we have to bring them the word of God. You may not do it like I do it. I might not do it like you do it. Uh, these children over here might do it a different way than I would do it. But it's going to be the word of God that does it. The word of God produces that conviction. And so uh, God has appointed that to be his instrument, if you know what I mean. And so if we try something else, if we just try to shame them or guilt them, you know, or something like that, it might make them mad, but it's not going to produce conviction. They would buck against that. Okay? But the Word of God is designed for that. It's like a tool, it's a fire that burns, it's a rock. a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. Uh, a, a man was praying one time at a prayer meeting and said, Lord, bring, produce the conviction of sin. Convict us of our sin. Which is a wonderful prayer. If we're a group of people on a Sunday night or any time and say, Lord, convict us of our sin. That's a good prayer. But if we don't bring ourselves to the Word of God and expose ourselves basically to the Word of God, then we're not going to be because that, that's what he's, he's designed to bring about that conviction. If I've lied, yes, the Holy Spirit can convict me of, of the lying, but it's the Word of God that says, thou shalt not lie. You understand what I mean? And so we have to bring that. Um, R.E. Torrey was talking about one of his, his meetings that he had, preaching meetings, and afterwards they would have the inquir- inquiry room or the meeting after the meeting. That's where the real work took place. You know, if you want to get saved, come over here. If you want to get baptized in the Holy Ghost, we're having a little meeting after service over here. And a lot of people would go home, but some people would go. And that's where it would sort of consummate what whatever was being preached and what God was dealing with them. So this one man comes into the, the, the little inquiry room afterwards, and, and R.A. Torrey says, are you a Christian? And he says, no, I'm not. And he says, well, well why not? He, and the, the young man said, well, I think Christianity is a wonderful thing. But I don't have much feeling about it one way or the other. He says, well, you mean, you don't, do you know that you're a sinner? He said, well, yeah, I guess I'm a sinner. But I'm not, I'm not the worst of guys. I'm a pretty good guy all around. I know I've, I'm not perfect. Uh, and, and so Ari Tori told him, he says, I've got something that will show, you know, will work for this, this moment right here. It's this book right here in my hand, the Bible. And he opens up to uh, uh, Matthew 2, um, uh, Matthew, and he, and he turns to uh, chapter 22, 37. He says, read this for me. And it says, this is the first and great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And he said, so, so uh, Tori said, well, what's the first, first commandment? He says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. So what do you think the, first, the greatest sin would be? 
He goes, I suppose not to keep that commandment, not to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind. And Tori said, well, do you, do you? Do you love Him with all your heart? And he says, no, I don't. And that was just a, a diving board, I guess. He said, pretty soon they were kneeling down and praying and the man was giving his life to Christ. I know it's a simple story, but I read about these men and they got lots of simple stories, but they sure were leading a lot of people to God. Isn't it amazing? A lot of simple stories. Him and Moody and others that, that ministered to my life because there was nothing extraordinary about them other than their childlike faith and standing upon the truth and the Word of God. And, and the man, anyway, in this case, the man was, was saved very quickly. All right, what's another thing the Word of God can do? It can bring about conviction of sin. It has power to regenerate. The Word of God has power to regenerate. You know, we talked about God's quickened us. Just listen to these verses. Uh, 1 Peter 1.23 Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. His Word is living. We're born again by this Gospel. We're born again by the living Word of God. That's what the Scripture says. We're born of the Spirit. We're born of God. You can put it all together. But his instrument that he uses, we just read it, being born again by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. A wonderful scripture that um, maybe we don't go to as often is James 1.18. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. Begat means he birthed us or you know, born us, so to speak. I know that's not proper grammar. But of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So if you wish to be born again, you have to go to the word of God. If you wish to, wish to lead someone else, one else to the Lord, you have to bring them to the word of God. And so God deals with the heart of man and, and quickens that heart when they, and they call, gives them the faith to believe and they believe, okay? The process of regeneration is very simple on our part. It's a mystery on God's part how He does it. Okay? Salvation is amazing when you think about it on God's part. How I'm just sitting here in a chair and I go from being a child of wrath, guilty of all my sin, hell bound, a stranger and a pilgrim from God, an enemy of the cross, and in the very next breath, being a child of God, joint heirs with Jesus. Uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing thing from God's part. But on our part, it's very simple. We lay hold on this gospel. We believe it. We hear it, okay? And we believe it. Even if it's a childlike faith, it's a saving faith. It's enough faith to lay hold and believe, not maybe the whole Bible at that time, because you don't even know the whole Bible, but to believe the truth of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. He rose again, was buried and rose again the third day. According to the Scriptures, uh, we're sinners in need of a Savior. And so we come to Him. Amen? And, and He saves us. So the Word of God is the seed that drops into the soil. Don't forget that. My testimony doesn't save someone. My testimony can illustrate and, and be a proof or an evidence of salvation. It can be salt and light and that, that sort of thing. But what saves is His Gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. A pretty song doesn't do it. 
Nothing else does it. The Word of God does it. Okay? The Word of God does it. And so, basically, the heart lays hold on that seed of the Word, and God causes it to bear fruit. Fruit unto salvation, and then fruit beyond that unto sanctification and, and spiritual maturity and so forth. And the Bible says that, uh, that we're partakers of God's nature. How? By, the, by these promises, by these exceeding precious and great promises. So they're promises of God. So the word of God is, are those promises and I lay hold for the believer. I lay hold on the promises of God and the word of God and the gospel of God and I become a partaker of his divine nature. All right, so the, the, the word of God has the power to regenerate a life or soul or to quicken someone that's dead in their sin and trespasses. Next, let's look at this quickly. The word of God has power to produce faith. This is important. This is important. When we hear people say, well, I just can't believe that. And I believe in evolution. I just can't believe that God created all things in six days. I just can't believe that story about Noah and the ark. How did all the animals, they had a thousand a laundry list of questions. How did all those animals get on the boat? How did they all get on And all that. And, and God has given an answer for that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Again, the Holy Spirit has to take that Word of God and quicken it, illuminate it to the heart, to the mind, to the spirit of the skeptic or the lost man or even the believer who's struggling in their faith about some particular thing. But still, His answer is that. And so if you, you can't get faith merely by trying to pump yourself up, in other words. Believe, believe, believe. You know what I mean? But believe. We, we, that... Faith is produced, it's a product of the Word of God. So the more you come to church, and I come to church, and the more I sit under the ministry of the Word, in Sunday school, in church, and we have the Word again on Sunday nights in different ways, and and Wednesday nights, and in your own daily life, speaking it to your spouse, having your spouse speak it to you, speaking it to your children, having your children speak it to you, uh, the more that we're going to the Word of God, our faith is going to be built up. We might not notice it after a day, a week, a month, but it's taken place. We're growing and our faith is growing. But there's not some other way. Uh, we, we have to take people to the Word of God if they're lost and they need what I would call saving faith. You know what I mean? Just faith to believe the Gospel and to be saved. They're lost They need to go from being lost to being saved. It's the Word of God. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. And let's look at this real quick. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in the Philippian jail and they're singing praises to the Lord. You know the story at midnight. They didn't know they were going to be let out. But God caused an earthquake earthquake to come and hit that little area. The prison doors were open. Their chains fell off and they end up coming out um, as the Lord brings them out. They didn't run away, but it says that the Philippian jailer was about to kill himself because he thought all of his prisoners surely escaped because the doors were slung wide open and it would mean his life. So he says, I might as well just do it now. I'll take my own life now. And Paul says, don't do any harm to yourself. We're all here. 
And the man comes in and brings a light. And he asks a question very similar to, to those on the day of Pentecost. When they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? The Philippian jailer says, uh, let's look at this. And... Verse, verses 30 through 30, 29. And he called for a light and sprang in. This is the guard. And fell trembling and fell down, came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? We know that scripture, right? Even if you didn't know exactly where it came from. What must I do to be saved? And he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. A lot of people stop right there, and I think it's a grave mistake. They stop right there, and technically you could say that is correct. There's nothing, we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace through faith. And it tells us here, what must do to do to be saved? The answer was believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But do you think this Philippian jailer knew who Christ was? Do you think he knew the gospel about his death, burial, and resurrection? I don't. And so it goes on to tell us. <coughs> In verse 32, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. So Paul and Silas go home with this Philippian jailer. And in, when they were home, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to his house. We don't know exactly what they said, but they spoke the gospel. They spoke Christ to him. And it says that he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he and his his straightway and so what happened was the answer was what must i do to be saved believe in the lord jesus and a lot of people stop right there and you got a lost person on the street they don't know you're talking about the jesus of islam the jesus of pop culture the jesus of you understand what i'm saying the jesus of mormonism because those are different or are you talking about the jesus of the scriptures and so they proceeded to preach the word of God to them, to the jailer and all that were in his household. And then they were able to have a basis for their belief. If you're going to tell somebody to believe, you have to give them something to believe in. It's not just power is not faith. And I say it all the time. It's not just some Star Wars force. It's zoning through the, the cosmos and I need to tap into it. Somehow I've got to tap into the force, Right. Luke, use the force. It's not just tapping into the force. The Lord is the one. And, and He gives faith. And faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And so God has given that to produce faith. And he, uh, Tori was saying that when, when, he was, uh, when he was first listening to one of Moody's sermons, Moody said, you've got to have faith. A man has to have faith or he's good for nothing, basically. And so Tori says, well, I've got to set out to have faith. And he, and he went home and he just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for faith. <clears throat> but he, the Lord quickly led him to Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's as we go to the word of God, we have something to believe in. Faith is not baseless. It's not just believe because I tell you to believe. We believe the promises of God. Abraham believed God's promise and God counted it to him for righteousness. Abraham didn't make up the whole thought that I'm going to have a bunch of descendants even though I have no children. One day I'm going to have a bunch of descendants and I'm going to be the father of many nations and through me all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He heard a promise from God and despite all the evidence to the contrary, he believed what God said. 
Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And Abraham believed that promise of the Lord, and he did become the father of many nations. According to the promise, it says in Acts 4, so shall thy seed be, like the stars of the heaven and the sands of the, uh, of the seashore. So remember that. Again, when you're witnessing to somebody, if you're trying to encourage yourself and you're struggling believing for a particular thing, we need to lay hold on a promise of God. And we need to see what the Lord says about it. And um, George Mueller used to start his prayer times with the Word of God. Because he wanted to find out, before I just ask God for something, I want to find out, is it His will? And I want to find out, is there a definite promise that I can lay hold on? It makes a difference, doesn't it, y'all? It makes a difference when I can go to God and basically repeat back to Him or pray back to Him something that He has promised in His Word. It makes a big difference. So we go back to God and we're not just pulling something out of thin air and saying, God, do this for me. We lay hold on a promise of the Lord and we pray it and, um, and we go to the Lord. For example, if you're desiring the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to pull a promise out of thin air. Peter said, this promise is for you, for your children, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so another, uh, there's scriptures that, that say this. And so um, if we ask, he'll, he'll give and we'll receive. So we go to the promise and we say, Lord, you told me this promise is for me. I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I'm praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there gives a great confidence when we pray to have God's promise lining up with our prayers. So I know that you understand that. Study your Bible. The way to have faith, y'all, is, is to have, have to study our Bible. To study it, to lay hold on it. Know the promises of God and lay hold on the promises of God. Somebody's a skeptic and they don't believe anything. You talk, talk to them about Jesus and they're just a skeptic. What are you going to do? Are you going to give them a book on apologetics? I'm, I, I like those books and I read them myself. So I'm not set, talking against them. But God has given a book on apologetics right here. It's already perfected and anointed. I'm not saying that in addition to that you might not give some you know, uh, biblical uh, argument against evolution or something like that. I've read those. I've taught things like that. But God's Word is the answer to the skeptic. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And I love it. What, and I'll just read it in John 20, 31. This is where John says that, y'all, in a paraphrase of what John said, he said there's so many miracles that Jesus did in His lifetime. And you have to think about it. It was really in a compressed time. His public ministry started when He was 30 years old at the Jordan River at John's baptism. The Holy Spirit descends upon Him and so forth. All the way to the cross. About three and a half years. But there were, he did so many miracles, John said, that I suppose that if they were all recorded and written down, the world... Now, you could say he's given a figure of speech, and I would agree with that. But he says the world, I suppose the world could not contain the books that would be written. Because you just read through the Gospels. It says, and we're going we're to be closing with this here, but that... The multitudes came to him and he healed them all. Well, how many came in the multitude? Have you ever wondered, was it 1,200? You know what I'm saying? How many people 
came to him in one day. This one's a leper, and this one's crippled, and this one's blind, and this has some disease all over their body, and this one's uh, raising a dead person here. You know, just overcasting demons out over and over and over and over again all day long. And so I wouldn't argue at all with what the Word of God says, but my point in that is this. But these are written. Whatever John did record is what the Holy Spirit told him to write. Okay? These are written, John 20, 31, that you might believe. So what is this written? It's the Word of God. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. And so clearly God has given us the Word that men would believe. Not do, I'm not... Uh, dividing the Word of God or the Word of Truth from the Spirit of Truth. Um, we're, we're assuming the necessity of the Holy Spirit to bring it home, like we said. But that is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God. And I think it's pretty clever of Satan and pretty uh, anemic and foolish of the church in 2019 to be getting further and further away from the Word of God. You know what I mean? The seeker-friendly movement has not done any service at all to a lost world around us. It just has not. I'm not saying that people initially weren't sincere when they, they thought this would draw more people. I'm not going to judge the motives. I'm judging the outcome, the, the tool and the outcome. It has to be the Word of God. It has to be. And so we're in, in getting more and more away from the shorter sermons, the longer music service, shorter, shorter sermon, you know, fewer scriptures. Don't need to bring your Bible. We'll have it up. If we want you to know, we'll have it on the PowerPoint up above. You know what I mean? Just less and less of the Word of God. Satan is probably just laughing because God knows and Satan knows too. It's the Word that God has chosen to, to do that work. Okay, whether it's a lost man or a saved man to build our faith up, it is the word of God, rightly divided, anointed by the Holy Spirit as revealed by the Holy Spirit. But it's not something else. It's the word of God. And so we go to God's word and we trust in him and and we trust in his word. And I'll close with this thought, y'all. That we're talking about power belongs to God. One of the ways that power comes into the life of the believer is beyond salvation is, is through the Word of God. And that's the first thing we're touching on. I didn't quite finish this tonight. We'll finish it next Wednesday on that point, the Word. But we have to feed steadily, consistently, largely on the Word of God. Let your diet be on the Word of God. I remember telling my boys when they were little and much younger and they have wonderful walks with the Lord now, but it's all glory to God. But I remember uh, say at the end of the day, for example, you know, Peter, did you, did you read your Bible? Did you pray? Uh, and, and usually they did, but maybe there would be some time when they didn't or, or they were so caught up with school and baseball or something. And I'd say, well, you know, it's, it's more important for you to read your Bible than it is to eat supper in a little while. That's, that's how important it is. It's the Word of God. That's what we feed upon. And that's what strengthens our faith. And we need to look at it that way. And again, it's not that every day you read a passage of the Bible that you necessarily feel, oh, I just felt like I, I grew two inches, you know, spiritually. 
but it is a consistent and steady diet. It has to be a steady staple. And it comes before everything else. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so I just pray through this that God would help us to lay hold on some of these really simple truths about what can the Word of God do for me? Am I giving it the proper attention and proper place in my life? We don't worship the written Word. We worship the living Word, Jesus, the Word. But He has given us this and He makes no real distinction. You know, the words I speak, their spirit and their life. It's the Lord. We feast upon Him by feasting on His Word, by sitting before Him. And that's what He's given us. And, and we're going to start realizing our faith increasing. Or the conviction of sin maybe in our own lives. Or the conviction of sin when we shared it trying to reach a lost person. There's a way to do it in love, y'all. There is. Speak the truth in love. But you still speak the truth. Because that is what God has given to produce the conviction. To strengthen the faith. To give saving faith. To give faith to grow in the Lord beyond that. And so I just want to close with that. D, you can come. Y'all stand with me.